All right, check one, check one. This is it, everybody. Welcome to the Cannabis Coffee Hour. With your host, me, Rob Cantrell. Oh man, I got a great guest, a dope guest, a hilarious guest, uh, super interesting stand-up comic. Has also has written articles and he does a podcast. And he, uh, we used to do uh, clubs in New York City in the village, and he's also a retired police officer. Uh, but you wouldn't, you couldn't tell from how young he looks. This is my man. Give it up for Mark DeMeo. What's up, Rob? What's up, my man? I just have to mention before we even go into it, you know, I, I got my own podcast and we've been looking for an opening and uh, we couldn't just figure out how to put it together. Who wrote your opening? Because that's something like that's in the guys that we want to. That's the lane that we want to just That evolved for me. I did this straight off my phone. You know, I did podcasts before, but working with other cats gets crazy, you know? Uh, you know, working with other people, you got to meet on time. Everybody's got to have the right attitude. Everybody's got to brush their teeth, you know? But with Zoom, it's a little bit different. But I used to, I just, I was like, motherfucker, I'm just going to drink some coffee and I'm going to do this podcast and smoke some that's, weed. That's how I feel about actually like posting and promoting anything. Like yeah. just doing those videos like on the fly where you stop in the middle of the day and you start recording. I'm not really that person during the day. No, I'm not in the mood to do that. Most of the time I walk around, I want to punch somebody in their fucking face. You know no. what I'm saying? Like, no, nah, I'm kidding. I'm not that. But I'm just not. Oh, no, no. We all walk around grumpy. We talk about it, man. I talked about Willie Nelson had a great qu quote the other day. He was like, the reason I, I smoke so much pot is so I wouldn't go around and kill anybody. You know, you know what? And you mentioned people, that. life gets you angry and everybody's going through it. And especially with the pandemic, people are ticking, yo. So you I mean, I, everybody's smoking out. I don't know about you, but yeah. Well, you know, too, it's like some people that are, you know, they, they're um, just generation, generationally opposed to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That um, that they just grew up with black and white. And um, it was something that was fed to them that it was it was wrong. It was bad. You know, they'll they'll never get it. But for somebody who, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you grew up in a very progressive, but also blue collar New York City, Mark. I, I love you being on this podcast. You're a last of the dying breed of real, real New Yorkers that I see out there. But it has. And it's the reason I came here uh, is uh, the thing about New York. I always say is like, dude, I mean, you could talk about hip hop, but or if, if it's a if it's this or it's that. But it is a New York music, you know, hip hop is a New York fucking music, man. And it's just a certain vibe. I don't know, it's like pizza, the cabs, the art, the culture, the immigrants, like everything, it, and it just pops, man. It just makes something really funky. And that's what I always loved. And that's what you have, Mark. That's, I mean, am I, am I going too weird on this? No, no, when I was a kid, we used to walk, I remember every summer had a song. Yes. And you could walk through, like, for example, for going to the beach, we used to go to the beach. We just take the train to the Rockaways and it would be oh. Sucker MC playing from from Astoria, Queens, all the way through Brooklyn to the Rockaways to get to the beach. You know, 14, 15 years old, 
and everywhere you went, boom, boom, pop, pop, boom, pop, boom, pop, pop, boom, pop. It was the boardwalk. Um, you know, people break dancing on the boardwalk. Yep, yep. That's just the way we grow up. And yeah, that's, that was that's the cool. background music to this like exciting city, man. And that raw energy of that early uh sucker MC sound, like, but I always say, like with hip hop, how you hear what the hot track is is when motherfuckers are playing it out their car, right? Like that's yeah. when I hear the first joy. That's when you know something's hot. If you don't hear people playing it out their car, like where you, you it's not, it's not hot. You know what's so fucked up is that it always sounds, especially now. Now it always sounds better in your car. Yeah. Because to everybody else, it annoys the shit out of me. As soon as as soon as I pull up next to you and you got that first, first of all, I'm 53 years old. I couldn't tell you who the fuck the baby is, right? Yeah, but, I'm 49. Yeah, when you pull up next to me and you got your music loud and I'm in the middle of trying to think, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a thought. <laughs> I just I look at you like right in your eye and then I roll up my window. <laughs> so you know that I'm not listening to your music. <laughs> dude, people in New York want to express themselves, so they pump their music, man. I was next to this dude the other day driving, and he was on one of those like city cruiser bicycles, like a motorcycle, <laughs> but like the granddaddy kind, like the time yeah. you take to the uh, Grand oh, Rio Grande or something. Yeah. And he was pumping some crazy Caribbean music, like some <laughs> some like reggae, but like the new dance hall shit that's like from Trinidad or something. And it was yeah. so loud because I was pumping my beats. All right, I like to pump beats. I got the clips in there. I also got Grateful Dead. I got the band. I got humble pie i got shit you don't even know about i pump beats but uh, these dudes his beats just outshot i had turned my shit off i just uh, turned it off uh, it was like but i'm with you man sometimes like uh i was interviewing because i grew up in dc with go-go music and it's just not a music you want to hear during the daytime like aggressive music especially as you get older man we got shit to do you gotta have your mind man, people here need music all the time for some reason like you stay you're like you know you're you're in the bodega and they're like, yo, Ak, let me get a, a, a vanilla Dutchie. And the guy, you know, the, the girl behind him, she has a song playing on her phone. It's not even an iPhone where the speakers are good. It's like some, you know, T-Mobile bullshit. And she's playing her song, which, you know, it just sounds horrible. Like, why do you need it at this moment right now? Plus, they're playing music in the bodega. This guy's got headphones on. It's like so much music. It's like we just all have to listen to the same song at one time. And agree yeah. on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. But then again, like, like, like it's stimulating everywhere, man. It's uh, like, people are just trying to get out of their head. I think it was better, too. Like, I just I don't get it, man, right now. And it's because I'm old. Yeah, I don't get it, man. They oh, said the same thing to us, man. They said the same thing to us. Don't even yeah. think they didn't say the same thing to our bullshit. Everybody got their bullshit, man. And it's all bullshit, man. But I do like the young vibe. Like some of that shit. I don't listen to the baby. I can't tell you what's Gucci man or the baby. But now and then the beats get me and I'm like, all right, I could vibe to that. Yeah, I don't know if this is a I, I like the weekend. <laughs> is that yeah, I like the weekend, too. Like is that appropriate to say. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I hear you coming. You know, I don't want to break them because what happens is when old people start liking you, then you actually lose favor with your the crowd you're trying to get. You yeah. don't want to become that guy. You want you want to just be like just for the 
you know, for the for the kids your age, your group. Because once I start liking you, then all of a sudden it's in a commercial. It actually is in a commercial already anyway. Oh, weekend played the Super Bowl, man. Yeah. And played the Super Bowl. He was high on he was high on Coke playing the Super Bowl in a red. You know what suit. He said? That's what he said. He was wearing a Richard Pryor red suit. It was I saw him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Pryor red suit. But yeah, I think all his a lot of his songs is about cocaine. It's weird. He's a quite the uh, character. He walks around with like a beat up face. He does makeup and he puts his head in like a like a, a bandage wrap and he walks or he comes around with a black eye. That's a pretty interesting thing, thing to do. Because I, I walked around with a black guy a couple of times when I was a kid. And other than the throbbing headache, it's not a bad look. No, I don't mind. I don't mind scrapping. That's what it tells you. Stay yeah. away from me. <laughs> I've been through some things. <laughs> I've been through some really, things. I'm just I was just in a fight. Yeah. Really? You want to go? I don't mind fighting again. I yeah. know what it feels like. I'll go again. <laughs> I'll catch you. <laughs> yeah, man. As a kid, I fucked myself up. I broke my leg in two places. I got in a fight and split the back of my head on a toilet in a public school. Like all the I mean, just yeah. Why uh, did you, how did you break your leg? Oh. This is a crazy story. Yeah, this is in Virginia. This is a true story. Uh, my first time my mom left the town and my my friends came over, three or four dudes, right? And we started drinking tequila, smoking Swisher sweets, right? And wow. watching porn, right? Wow. And this one kid, this is in Virginia. So it was like, this one kid was a little bit more country. I would say redneck. And he had a dirt bike, he had a motorcycle he got for Christmas, you know, like a 120, you know, like what they ride in the streets, like popping wheelies. But these kids would ride them all around the mountains and stuff. And I jumped on that thing. It was like a 150. And I went and I ran it like 20 feet and hit a tree. Bam. And my leg hit the tree and my leg broke in two places in my in, in uh, my fibula and my tibula. I don't know. I, I don't know how squeamish. I've, I also cut, almost cut my dick off too on a bike accident. But uh, hey. as a young, and I fell out of a moving car when I was five in DC in Rock Creek Park. This is yeah. I always, I, 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 I think my early, I fucked myself up so hard, so many different ways and growing up in the city and growing up in the country. Uh, nowadays I'm so chilled, Mark, all I want to do, like my, my idea of heaven is going fishing on a rowboat with sandwiches, like with a friend with no phone. <laughs> you say, you say it like, it's crazy. But when I look at you and I talk to you, I think to myself, wow, this probably, this guy probably fell out of a moving car a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, uh, but seriously, I get you, man. I totally get you. You know? I've been uh, following this whole Wim Hof method right now. And the, the thing about learning how to like put stress at a distance, staying in the moment. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm happy that I'm on this path because uh, that other, the other way it'll eat you alive, you know, you got to chill. And that's where the cannabis comes in. You know what I'm saying? Um, yep. Yep. Otherwise, you know, it's it's just it's just a much better way to greet the world as far as I'm concerned. For me, anyway, it's not for everybody. Yeah, it's not for everybody. It's definitely not for people under 21. And I think it should be regulated. But with how society's moving with uh, with mental illness and yeah, you know, just exactly how the war on drugs has hit minorities. It's uh, you know, it's a it's just time. Yep, yeah, I mean. I'll take it. You know, it's pretty convenient that we legalize marijuana right now when our fucking our uh, governors in the world of shit. But um, 
<laughs> I'll take it, man. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. No, it's right there, man. And the dudes that are doing it earlier are making the money. And I'll tell you, Mark, I know a lot of like square cats in California that have families and shit. And they're like, dude, it's not a big deal. The thing about weed is you smell it a mile away. Like you can't sneak up on anybody smoking weed. That's why you always got popped in New York. I did three nights in the tomb, Mark. I did three nights for a roach for smoking in the LES in 2007. Yeah, I mean, if anything, that's why we're, it, it had to be legalized just because it couldn't be. It was over. Um, there was a time in New York when the crime was so down that, you know, talk, you worked in narcotics. You basically drove around and, and picked up pot smokers. And, you know, we're talking about a guy that in Brooklyn Heights walking his dog in his bathrobe, you know, taking a hit off a of one hitter. And he's now he's sitting in the back of the van. Yep. You know, with five other guys. It, it just got. It was. It became too aggressive. Um, it lost its 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 way. Yeah, and a little bit about the dollar dollar bill there. It get, it get it just gets too like it's just too easy. Yeah, I mean, and uh, and and you know, you go the other way too because now now all of a sudden, you know, people who grew up here or have not grew up here but have at least lived here for a while, they'll yeah. come up to you and be like, "Can you believe they're smoking pot right there in the park? Can you smell it?" there's kids playing there and I'm like, and I'm looking, I'm like, you know, I, I guess the kids are going to grow up being used to that smell. It's going to be nothing to them after a little while. Dude, you know what we had? We had dudes smoking PCP and playing dice and porno everywhere. Like th this place is sanitary, dude, compared to the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Uh, there is know? an idea though, that it's heading it back in that direction though. And the thing is, I've been hearing there is random violence. I think it's just, yeah, the middle class is shrinking and there's just desperation at the corners. There's a lot of homeless people that are out. Well, they're always out, but there's not a lot of other people out. There's not a lot of tourists. So when you walk through the city here, um, you know, this guy who's got to punch somebody in the face because they're all like on a, on a clock. These these crazy people, they all got to punch somebody every two days or something like that. Every three days, they punch it somebody. peaks out. It peaks out like the manicness in the mental. Yeah. And then they go. They got to go through. Somebody yeah, has to hold them down. Yeah. 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 So it just so happens that there's not that many people out. So the chances of you getting hit has has raised significantly. You know what I'm saying? You went. Yeah, I lived in San Francisco three or four years. I know how to dodge them. <laughs> and I grew up in D.C. in the 70s, man. I grew up in Northeast D.C. I was born in 72. I know how to dodge, but I don't want to talk out of line because it is like random, really vicious violence that's happening. And it goes against all, you know, people who can't defend themselves. Yes. And, the, you know, as well as like people like even if they would knew what was up, they couldn't. They then the reaction time is not going to be good. No. And that's the that's what's happening. A lot of that. A lot of that random violence over here now. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, you know, you were mentioning earlier about being a native New Yorker and, and, and one of the old G, the OGs, you know, and the thing is, like, how much longer am I going to stay here? You know, like, how much longer can I can I, me even put up with it? You <laughs> know, and there's a real part of me like yeah, it's a scary feeling right now, too, because once my mind is made up, I'm going to go. Right. But I'm just, uh, you know, I have kids uh, here, you know, one's in college graduating and the other one is uh, is in an, uh, another program and he's going to be graduating soon, too. So 
Congratulations, Mark. That's amazing to get, to get the kids up to that age and do the real thing and do comedy and do be a cop, man. I, I know that struggle and uh, it's not easy. It's a lot of dudes fold. So, man, you're just yeah, doing great. Listen, uh, all I do is pretty much get, uh, complain about my predicament and what a loser I am all day. No, you can't do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that New York shit I don't like, man. That negative fucking... You guys got punched you know, in the face too much when you were young. There's too much child trauma with you guys. <laughs> you know, it's funny, too. You're sitting at home. You're like, man, I'm such a fucking loser. I need to get my shit together. Meanwhile, you're smoking. <laughs> smoking in sweatpants, and you got Netflix on, and you're watching White Boy Rick. Have you seen White Boy Rick yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like three quarters through it. What a story, huh? So, yeah, that was what I wanted to talk to. My brother is was a Maryland state trooper for a long time. So I know cops and he's also in federal right now. Uh, uh, but so I, I kind of know that world and I always ask him about cases. What do you think about the white boy Rick case being with a police background? Well, I think the most interesting part of it is that the, the shady police commissioner. Yeah, was in the movie. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop played the uh, the the guy his sergeant in Beverly Hills Cop. Remember I got family in Michigan. I remember this character. Yeah, and he was good too. He was good. He killed he that killed role. It. He killed it. He killed that role. Killed that role. You know why? Because he was a real deal cop. That's yeah, how they did. sound. And they shot that. They had those. They had those metal. They had those big. You know, you just they had the real wooden desk and they had the real cop just chewing Eddie Murphy out. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Uh, that was great. And also, um, you know, it reminds me of a lot of uh, the full metal jacket, the sergeant that actually was a real sergeant. And he was the he was a gunnery sergeant. He was actually training the extras how to be soldiers in the scenes. And he kept uh, sending them videotapes of himself. Yeah, man. With, with showing them the progress that he was making with the with the extras, showing them how to drill so they could be background. But in the meantime, he would put he would sneak himself yelling at them in the beginning, knowing that that role was somebody was uh, reading for that role still, and uh, <laughs> that's how he got in. But he was a real gunnery, just the same way this guy was a real. Uh, I guess he was a police commissioner or a police chief, and also. <laughs> He also was running for mayor, I think. And the mayor of that uh, was corrupt as well. And I guess they kept him in jail all the time. So nobody because so he couldn't tell the story or something. I don't know. I didn't get to the end of it yet. Yeah, I haven't lost it. No, I watched a little bit of the end. He's actually gotten out in 2007. I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but then he has to he has doing another bid in Florida. It's crazy. This guy's karma. Uh, but yeah, it looks really like a shady, yeah, uh, somebody way up top. Yeah, that, the mayor, you know, just like was covering shit up as politicians, you know, do power moves like that, man. And especially during that time, you know, I always, I mean, it, like it just comes down to cocaine and money, man. It's just like that amount of money in the eighties just corrupted so many people and there wasn't the internet. So people were fucking on the take, man. And I think, yeah, I think there was just a lot of money in the black market and the underground market, crime market in uh, Detroit at the time. And they had a corrupt system and yeah, they put this kid away. Hey, let me tell you, bro, I was a- But they also busted him like, 
with nine kilos. <laughs> eight, yeah, eight kilos, yeah. Eight kilos, which, I mean, I'm not, and I've been around cats, and the most I've ever seen is somebody break out an eight ball. Like, I've never seen somebody break out a full kilo of cocaine. And then to have eight, that's worth, like, what's that worth on the street? Is that a million dollars? No, I think they're, like, they're, like, 12, 14, 15. It varies between 12 and 15,000 dollars for a key. Gotcha. And, um, I mean, he was working for the guy Curry, and Curry was a, a pretty big mover. Yeah. For, for still being on the street. So it's pretty reasonable that that guy Curry would say, oh, do me a favor, go pick up our, our next yeah. from so-and-so and, and bring over the house. And That's he why he's hanging out with them. them. Yeah. That's why they're letting them hang out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he was also easy to get through the neighborhood. I mean, if you had to go pick up eight kilos, why not let the white kid go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So that's a ground ball. Yeah, he, I, I, it was kind of, all I'm saying is a little bit on him. Like, I, my heart goes out to him, and he's nonviolent, and he was a dumb kid. But he was moving huge amount of weight. And when you're involved with that amount of weight, and he was saying he, he liked the lifestyle. So this guy it was like guns you know mercedes-benz mink coats you know you know how you know prostitute you know prostitutes money the whole thing you know the underworld you know yeah and altogether they was probably pulling in like you know a hundred thousand a year back then yeah 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 listen it, it's not but it's his not dad was into guns like his dad was like shipping guns so his dad was shady and the thing that's as you know as a parent that you're kind of like it's, it is his fault, but he also kind of got led the wrong way a little bit. So you, that's, I mean, my compassion for him. And I think he should have been let out a long time ago. I mean, that story is one of a hundred million stories of, you know, African-Americans being incarcerated, not for 28 years for eight keys, but the, the, the way they give out uh, sentences, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like yeah, once you start the doing the crack story. thing, yeah. Once you start measuring out the crack thing, and then economically, who's doing that and why, um, it's it gets really tricky right now. And I think that's what's tripped me out about the quarantine. It's just been a time of self reflection, and like all this shit has been hitting the universe all at once. You know, it's like. Black Lives Matters, Q on, Me Too, like everything's, you know, legalizing. It's all happening all at once. But I just think we're, we're, you know, society's growing and there's always pains, you know, and you got to work with them and look at them. You can't ignore them, you know, you got to look them kind of straight on. This is the best time to be a narcissist right now because, <laughs> uh, no, seriously, because all this other stuff is vying for your attention and it, it doesn't really help you in any way. Mm -mm. And anybody who's um, going towards the light in any one of those causes and situations, those are people that the, most of them don't have. Um, they don't have a thing they want to do. Yeah. So you might as well, if it's not this cult, it's another. There's so many. Listen, it, you can't. It's a lot to get wrapped up with, and it's almost too much, and it's almost the amount of it is suffering. So, but I do like what I'm doing is like going more to nature simplifying like i'm all about stretching and water and meditation you know i'm up to like 40 minutes now man like zoning you know um and i wasn't that way before you know and our society wasn't that way before uh, but i've had to do it just to stay alive you know 
Yeah, whatever you have to do, whatever you have to do. And the most important thing is, is try to find something that you enjoy doing and um, then try to make money at it because that is what's going to keep you uh, focused on you reaching your goals because the amount of tension or, or, and a lot of this is just manufactured hysteria and stress or drama yeah. You know, it's manufactured. We're talking about third, fourth, fifth degree se se separation between this person that had something done to them and uh, me. And super gossip. It's really pulling away the attention of like, yeah, the love of it all. I mean, when you sit there and you're, you're you know, you're crying tears the way you would as if your mom died. You got to ask yourself, all right, <laughs> let's relax right now. How much am I really putting into this right now? Yeah, Seriously. like I, and listen, I, I I like to think that I'm I have a good heart, but when somebody tells me, "Oh, so and so died," and I'm like, "Wow, really? Who the fuck is that?" Oh, you know, so and so's aunt. Oh, you met them once at a part. Oh, wow, that's horrible. She was nice, but I'm not gonna. I'm, what am I gonna do? Start going hysterical right now? No, no. I met her once at a party. But that's like the beauty of it with yourself, too, is like something Tracy told me that I Tracy Morgan, when I was working with, uh, you know, when you die, you know, the most people are going to say, oh, Mark died. Oh, that sucks. Oh, I got to go do that thing. Uh -huh. I got to go take a shit. I got to go run and get my mom's fucking bread. I got to go. You know, it just everybody just takes a brief moment. You know, oh, and they keep it moving. I mean, my dad died when I was 10. I just know it hits you and everybody goes through it. And it's it's a part of life, you know, and it's but I don't want to lose the hard shell like is cool and all. But the real toughness is being tender and being understanding and understanding about, you You know, just growing with it. You know, you could be as hard rock as you want, but the hard rock just goes it goes to heart disease. <laughs> But it's a fine line between, um, you know, manufacturing some uh, this sorrow. I mean, listen, I put the when I put this thing on your. You still gotta love people, you know. You still gotta love life. You just can't fall for any sucker shit, you know. You know, I don't know whether this is the prayer sy symbol. Yeah. Or whether it's the uh, uh, yoga symbol. I think it's the prayer symbol, right? When you put this up on the Facebook, I'm really praying for you. I'm not wasting that. You know what I'm saying? I'm really going to say a prayer for you. I wouldn't put it up, but um, a lot of happy yeah, I pray prayers for people all the time, man. And I think they I've seen them work. Yeah. A lot I of think goes out, if people show. show energy like it's with the cold cats, like when you hear somebody die and they were a dick and everybody's just like, man, fuck that dude, you know, that I mean, that's not a good feeling, you know. But when everybody's kind of like, oh, Mark was a dope dude, you know, and they're sending you vibes. I think you could feel it. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of dope dudes have died in comedy and uh, you definitely feel it. Yeah. You know, Lozada, oh, know. I think about him all the time, man. He was such a great guy. Talk about a New York guy. He was telling me about <laughs> he saw like he, he battled Joe Ski Love back in the 80s in hip hop. I don't know if you know who Joe Ski Love. Do you know who Joski Love is? No. Oh, dude, this was a, I remember this was summer of 83, probably the biggest hip hop record. Get busy, y'all, busy, y'all, busy, y'all. Okay. Pee Wee Herman dance. Oh, yeah, 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 all right. 
boom, boom, boom. That was the original. If you want to hear a fucking bomb ass hip hop beat, listen to the Pee Wee Herman by by Joski Love. Like that summer, it was when I saw the Fresh Fest. That's what the DJs were playing. When I saw Houdini play live in 83, that summer, that track was like the bomb. And then, you know, there's always been summer hip hop jams like uh, Fresh Prince's summer that 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 one hit nice. Yep. Yeah. There's always a song in New York um, that takes it over. I remember Eric B for president when I was in college. That was a song that just took over the city. Coming out of Jeeps, coming out of trucks everywhere. everywhere. I was at the garden. I went to go see Eddie Murphy live. Oh, my God. I remember. You saw the Raw tour or the Delirious tour? You saw the Raw tour. You know what? I forget which one was it, but it came around once. It was called Pieces of My Mind. And by the time it came all the way back around the country, they changed the name to, I think, Raw. Oh, wow. When it started out, I I still have a Pieces of My Mind shirt because I went to go see it when it came back Raw. That was the same exact show. And we were all like, oh, I guess they just changed the name of it. Because I guess at the end, they started filming it. So they came back around to Nassau Coliseum. But we started off seeing him at the garden. You saw Eddie. Okay, wait a second. You saw Eddie Murphy, pieces of my mind. That sounds like something like he just put together right before Raw and he did it in New York City. And he well, was so hot that movie. he would sell out anything. Like I that remember Eddie Murphy, like delirious. That was, name, that was the original name of it. It was called Pieces of My Mind. And That's then dope. they started touring it around the country, getting ready to film it. I guess they came up with another name. Do you remember who opened that show? Because I have heard like names. Uh, no, it wasn't like Tommy Davidson or like I think it was not know who Tommy Davidson was then. I know it wasn't Tommy Davidson, but it was like uh, they said the Wayans. I think he was like a lot of the Wayans brother, like the older Wayans brother, like like, the comedy store guys that that it was opening like right. Uh, But yeah, what do you remember about the show? Uh, I remember, this is what I remember. At the time I was big, I was a bodybuilder. I was probably like 270 pounds. I was fucking, I'm six foot four. 270 pounds. My traps were like this. I had shoulders, 20 inch arms. You can make the titties bounce. I used to have, uh, I had a mullet. I had a bus. I looked exactly pretty much like Mark Gastineau. Wow. And when we came- Were you on the juice? When we came to, uh, to go see Eddie Murphy, my friends noticed that Sylvester Stallone had come in with um, with Bridget Nielsen. They walked in. They had security. They were like, obviously, a lot of rows lower than us. But our seats weren't that bad. And I was with my boys. We were all. So then I started busting my chops because Bridget Nielsen used to go out with Sylvester Stallone. I mean, with yeah. uh, Mark Gastineau. Oh. So a lot of my friends were like, yo, you should go down there, man. Go down there in a huff and, and see if you can get their attention. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to do it. So I got up. I had a sweater. Like I'm telling you, I, look, I was 270, but I looked like I was 290, right? And I'm walking down the stairs and I'm, I'm, I'm doing like this with the shoulders. And all of a sudden you see his security pop up and they all look up. They all look up towards my way. And then when I got to the landing right where they were, I made a left. I just kept going. <laughs> I went to the bathroom. And then once I got out there, uh, Eric, uh, uh, Eric B was signing autographs. I didn't know who Eric B it was at the time because Eric B and Rakim's album, it was uh, it had dropped, but 
It was only that that one or two tracks. They weren't like the whole album is banging. That's the one of the best albums ever made. I know every song on that. Which faded full. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I got so all those. So um, when I made the left, I didn't know who he was because the 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 album was out. My back then, yeah. Back then, you didn't really know what the the artists looked like until they were on MTV or unless you bought the album, because then it would have their picture on the cover. Yeah, so I didn't have the album yet, so I, I make the left and I see this guy with a huge gold chain. I mean, the 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 size of this chain and the 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 it was like a circular gold medallion right here and that thing. And I was like, holy shit, who's this fucking guy? And meanwhile, Eric being for president is playing over the speakers, and he's signing autographs. And I'm like, and I I was like, this is probably the guy that's singing this song right now. So I went to the bathroom, I came back. But that's one thing I remember about the Eddie Murphy uh, concert in Madison Square Garden. Me scaring the shit out of Sylvester Stallone and, and all his bodyguards. <laughs> and running into Eric B. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is the craziest story. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and uh, that's a famous jet football player, right? Mark Gaston. Yeah. I, I'm not a football cat. You know me. I draw spaceships and shit. But my brother was a sports cat. <laughs> you better if I write that line down. Yeah, you can write that line down. That's a great line. You know, I'm not a football cat. You know me, I, I draw spaceships. <laughs> Seriously, bro, that is one of the best lines I've ever heard in my life. I've said that before on stage. Like, that's kind of like one of my, like, space out, like, to, to tell tell the audience who I am, you know? And everybody gets that right off the bat. But, uh, yeah. It goes, with, I'm not, it goes with I'm not a football guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Because that is a great, great line. Oh, thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you, thank I love you. that line. Yeah, 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 yeah. There uh, are lines that are so descriptive, you know, like, and that's what you have to kind of sort of get when you write your comedy. Like, one, one of my lines is, you could probably tell by looking at me that I do very well with women. <laughs> you know? And uh, it's when you, when, you, when you understand who you are. Yes. That's when you can, you know, that's when you, like they say, find your voice. You need to know who you are, what your perception is to other people, how they see you. Yeah, man. I, that's why I've always like, uh, you know, I like doing jokes, but I also am always trying to be my pure self on stage. You know, I'm all because that's when it's easy. That's what when you're just shoveling jokes, it just seems so much work. When I'm lucid and flow state and I'm completely myself and I got the audience, like Mm -hmm. that's where I, you know, that's where I always, you know, love, man. It's just being yourself. And I think we have a job that we can do that. I mean, being a cop is cool. Being a businessman, being a billionaire, being uh, a president is cool, but we can be ourselves. There's very few motherfuckers that can own it. And I always liked that about you, Mark. You always owned who you were on stage. Yeah, you were like, you knew it wasn't cool to tell motherfuckers you were a cop, but you said, yeah, I'm a cop. And I smoke weed. And I've been around the block more than any of you guys. And if we got into a fist fight, I could probably take you out. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know about taking people out, but I will. You weren't a tough guy. I don't see tough guy vibe, but did you fight a lot growing up? Did you have to fight growing up? I mean, I know you're Dominican Republic, like, you grew up in a mixed family in the early 70s, 80s New York, right? I have an angry resting face. So <laughs> right? 
So people, especially when I was younger, they'd always go, yo, what's the matter? And I'm like, nothing, why? And I was, I was in a fine mood. I just looked angry. So I think a lot of people didn't fuck with me for that. And then I was also... That's a good... It was, I think I remember, and it's hard to explain to people, unless you grew up in a neighborhood like that. I remember making sure that I got into a certain amount of fights just so I wouldn't have to fight. <laughs> Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, man. Yep. It ha there has to be word on the street that you shouldn't be fucked with or people will fuck with you. There has to be at least a certain decent amount of level, whether you were playing football or soccer or kick the can, that you weren't going to take it from the bully or whoever was being aggressive a little bit, you know? I don't know. I think that's was a lot about being a kid in the 80s, but I don't think it is now. I think it's all going to a different place, but that's, you know, what we had to do. Yeah, because there was a lot of hanging out in the street back then. And yeah, where you socialize, like not online, in not person, and unsupervised, completely un for hours on end. Like they didn't yeah. want to see us. Oh yeah, they throw you out, and you know you kind of had to make a. It was a, its own little government. You know, you know who was in charge, who was in control, what were we gonna do? Uh, was there gonna be a power struggle? And this is right, am just amongst friends. Yeah, just amongst friends. Just like I'm going to uh, any, I'm going to go up to Steinway, you know, which was a, a big street. Who wants to take a walk with me, or who's come with me? Or yeah. if your friend just said, if I just said to you, "Hey, Rob, you want to come come with me to Steinway tomorrow?" And then me and you were going to Steinway, and then our other friend, you know, Eddie was like, "Where are you guys going?" And I'm like, "Oh, we're going to Steinway." Oh, how come you didn't tell me? Yeah, but you yeah. can't turn him down. He has to come, and you guys have to get comic books and get some ice cream or some bullshit. But there was always that one friend that was always trying to separate everybody. Yeah, yeah, there was always, yeah, kind of, yeah, there was always like the politician. We'd all hang out together at night, but during the day he wanted to do, he'd pick you and he felt special that he was taking you on his journey to go get like a bakery for his mother. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, the kids in my neighborhood, I mean, I always liked funny dudes, so that was it. And Me I was too. Talking, I always liked the funny cats. And, uh, but uh, what we were talking about, is uh, the funniest dudes I know, Mark, when I was growing up, most of them are dead now. Like, uh, I think a lot of them is, you know, manic depressive. Like, I just remember, just I mean, dudes that were funny out the box, like, just like, blam. I just remember a couple, and they didn't make it past their 40s, I think drugs or alcohol, you know, just like something took them down. And I lost track of them, but we were very young. Like the guys that I, I was like, that dude was funnier than the other crew. Like we had an, another group of friends from DC, but then we went to Virginia, we met a couple people and there was one person that was just super funny, like a level of funny I had never seen. Like it was smart, it was creative, it was out the box and it would make you just piss your pants funny, you know, just like. I don't know. He would like sing stupid songs and do bike tricks. I don't know. It was just some manic energy that was just out of the box funny. Yeah, I was always attracted to funny, the, the funny person in class. And a lot of times I, I would like kind of sort of team up with them. Yeah. I wasn't so much the, uh, the funniest one in the class, but I was the most disruptive. <laughs> I always sought to uh, my, my goal every day was to uh, disrupt the class. And, you know, somebody could be very funny, but they'd be funny on breaks and, you know, uh, or we're all together. But in the middle of class, I was my my goal was to fuck shit up. Like I was <laughs> if it was from, you know, do you name it to 
Do you do some pratfalls? Are we flicking boogers? Are we well, singing? I'll give you one story. Well, we were in class and we used to have these desks where you used to push, push the uh, thing up and you put your books in there. And I, I figured out, me and I had a co-pilot on this one, my friend Oscar Benitez, we figured that if we pick up the desk at a certain time of the day when the sun was coming in, the sun will come in and beat, beat uh, hit, hit this wooden desk thing. And then it would, it would beam off that and go towards the blackboard. And off the blackboard, it would beam the teacher in the eye. Don't ask me how he figured this out, but we did. So it was the perfect time of the day. Sister Barb was up at the, at the thing. She's doing a math thing. So we pick up the desk like this. Sure enough, sun comes in, hits, hits the desk, beams off the desk, uh, beams off the blackboard right in her eyes. She's, she does one of these things. She puts down the chalk. She turns around. Okay, everybody. And she starts going through the aisles. I just want to make sure that everybody has their math books out. And we all, you know, everybody's got the, everybody has a notebook. Okay, everybody has their pencils going through the, all the, the, the rows of kids, making sure everybody, okay, so there's no reason why anybody needs to go into their desk now, right? No, Sister Barbara, we're like in the fourth, fifth grade, right? Mm-hmm. She goes back up, she starts writing on the board, and I mean, ask her, look at each other, we pick our desk up like this. <laughs> Sun comes in, beams off the desk, beams off the blackboard, right in the eyes, she goes, you fuckers! And she, I, we made a nun curse. Chalk <laughs> down, and she runs out of the class crying. Oh! And we felt so bad because Sister Barbara was a nice. She was a really nice nun, and she was young. She yep. must have been in her twenties, and we broke her. Oh. We broke her, and we were relentless. We were re- every day. If you had a deal for New York people. City kids, you were asshole, fucking goofball. Yeah, we were sent upstate. I, I was, I was such a troublemaker wow. that I was actually sent to boarding school. And yep. this was in boarding school that this happened. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They used wow. to hit us up there. We used to get hit. Yep. The nuns probably hit you. Yeah, I got. Uh, I went to boarding school, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade. Wow. Where? In Virginia, it's uh just a little bo- yeah, it was like a little prep school in Virginia, but in Lynchburg, Virginia. When it's I went to public school. What's that? When did you come home? Uh, like every, every week or every couple of weeks? Yeah, every uh, no, maybe a month or two, maybe a month. Yeah, I've been on my own since I was like fifteen, pretty much. And then right after that, I went to college, and then right after that, I got a job, and I always had jobs in my. since I was 19 or 20, I was always, I wanted to go out and drink with my friends. So I always worked at restaurants and bullshit, you know? Uh Uh, But yeah, uh, I got paddled. I I told a story here. I had my buddy that I went to in public school. I had like the football coach had a wooden paddle for me getting in a fight with a kid. Like literally a grown man told me to grab my nuts and just went, wow, wow. Like a football coach just beat, gave me three licks. Yeah, it's good for you though. I really do think so. I mean, I got the belt when I as from my dad when I was young, but I have kids and I I, <clears throat> I don't I don't. Yeah, the thing is, let me tell you something. It's a different time and age, like. But getting paddled is nothing. All that is the only thing that counts is getting hit in your face. You can recall, and every single person can recall. And I actually talked to somebody the other day, and they said they never got hit in the face, and they couldn't believe it. I can recall, and I'm pretty sure every single person, if we sat down, you could recall every single time you got hit in the face. And uh, that's, I'm writing a book about that right now. And it's that is just, true. Every single time. It, it's it's going to be a solo show. 
But it's the story of every single time you got hit in the face. What? It fucking sucks to get punched in the nose. It's it's not just hitting the nose. It could be hit on the side. Eye, the cheekbone is a weird one. The eye socket is a weird one. Well, it's the violence towards your face. And your brain is right there. Your eyes, your teeth. It just rattles you. It's something about you just don't forget it. You get hit in the body. Somebody punches you in the stomach. You could remember that too. But there's the face shots. I remember my mother slapped me one time. I remember every fist fight I ever got into. Um, but the fist fights didn't really count. I'm not counting those on the, uh, the nun hitting me in the face. I'm talking about ruler to the face. What had the nun hit you? She slapped you right in the face. Just slap. Oh, and you had to take it. That was like this. She was tiny. Oh. She was probably five feet tall, but she had a really athletic body. Like, a, like she could have been a sprinter, bow legs and everything really just walking around like this little Jack gymnast. And she used to go like this to you and whack, whack. And it was always on the third I got hit so much, I knew the timing of it because then I used to move. One, two, whack. And one time I hit her in the shoulder. Uh, she hit me in the shoulder and it hurt her hand. And then she started hitting me with the bullhorn. <laughs> she was going like this with her hand and hitting me because in the left hand, it had, she had the bullhorn. But she was, they weren't really good strikes. Oh, man. You took some trauma, my man. You took some real trauma. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, a lot. Believe where me. are you with Jesus nowadays, Mark? Are you? It, did that? You could. That could have made driven you to smoke some crack or join a death metal band. Like that's some uh, getting hit by a nun with a bullhorn at yeah, age I like twelve. What's I like that? disturbing. I, I like disturbing. Uh, or I guess it's being just being an asshole. It, <laughs> it makes me laugh. I think it's funny, especially the classroom atmosphere. You know, just to cut everybody up and make people laugh. I even did it in the academy. I, I, you know what it is? I can't sit still for long. I used to draw, and I can draw pretty well. Yeah, man. Pretty did well. you ever I do graffiti? Like, did you ever get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you could do some fresh bubble letters? You yeah, got definitely. bubble letters? Yeah. Can you give me the spark up at the top? Can you give me the little twirls up in the little top joints? I'm always writing. Always. Let me see something. Let me see some doodle. Let me see Mark DeMeo, New York City. Well, I'm just looking. I'm looking through. Uh, these are my writing pads, but usually in the middle of writing, uh, I always, if I get bored. I love doodling. I love drawing. Yeah, this one doesn't have anything. Usually, if I get bored or if I'm talking to somebody uh, on a Zoom or something, and I'll start doodling. What do you do? Do you do graffiti letters or do you do boxes or geometric yeah, shapes? I, I do pieces, bro. Oh, you do full on pieces. Yeah, I've been, I've been writing for years, but I'm not that good. I'm okay. You kind of look, you kind of got Ramon from Beat Street vibe for me, dude. <laughs> Did you used to run with Ramon, dude? Were you there when spit through the fucking paint at him, man? Uh, who was his girlfriend in that movie? Oh, Raydon Chong, right? Raydon Chong, Tommy Chong's daughter. One of the Tommy Chong, like that's what I say about cannabis and old dudes. Like I know all you New York cops, ex cops are all probably firing up. All the blue collar cats are firing up because being old dudes like weed will bring down your I'm drinking cannabis tea right now, but it's just it's just CBD, not psychoactive, but it brings down your heart rate. It'll make you live longer. You could still get hit by a truck or, you know, you know, get some random violence go down. But uh, but on the whole, like Tom's living forever. Willie Nelson's living forever. You know, these dudes are huffing like Indians. Yeah, I think what it is, is, is um, the mental sanity, like you said, lowering your uh, your stress level. 
your heart rate. Yep. And you keep really your mind you active. active. You have to actively pursue uh, the idea that you're not going to get stressed out about things that don't directly involve you. Yeah, man. You know, we're manufacturing all this stuff, you know, to either fit in or appease or pretend like I'm upset. Listen, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> It didn't happen to my kids, none of my friends. In my bubble, and I might get hit by a truck any second. I'm trying to. I'm not saying that I don't give a. I care. You got to care. I'm not going to start manufacturing a lot of. It's not going to make me angry enough, where I have to go out and uh, spend some time taking away from my life. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. The other thing I read the other day, and I did it. I just been really kind. You got to be nice to yourself. That's the thing. You got to love yourself. And you got to be nice to yourself. And one thing I read was just like, lay down, rest, and don't worry. Yeah. You know, and I well, yesterday I was feeling the energy level because we're kind of, you know, I'm in my 40, you know, I'm 40. So I got to read my energy. I love myself. And I was like, I'm feeling funky. And then I was like, I'm just going to lay down and I'm not going to worry or touch my phone. I'm not going to do anything. And I did it. For like, and I and I fell asleep, dude, for like 90 minutes. Like my wife came in and was like, hey, I'm sorry to bother you. And I did that thing where you wake up and you're like, eh. and you feel refreshed. You ever have a good nap? And it's like, oh, shit, I'm 23 again, man. <laughs> I'm going to go out and dunk on these dudes. <laughs> you just reminded me of the, there used to be this saying, like, you know, when you grow up in the city and you're like in the projects and stuff, there's always that one saying when they go, look at him, he's taking a nap like he got a job. <laughs> or, or look at or, or the way you're in the fridge look, look at him going through the uh, the fridge like he got a job oh, <laughs> when that stress button yeah i know what it's like to be broke as hell and i know what it's like to be at the top and i know what it's like to be at the bottom and i like the middle like i like being able to know where the bread's coming from zoom life like our industry's kind of funky right now but i think with cannabis being legal like it's just time to pivot and hustle and you know make some moves i know you got a gig right after this i'm about trying to wrap it up on something dope uh, i know you got a, like a paid zoom after this i appreciate you doing this mark man uh, i'll try to i'll hit you up with a joint the next time we hang out man i i still i know you, you i don't know how much you want to be public with it I, you i can cut this out but i remember us at Times Square doing that shitty comedy club in the middle. But you were like, yo, Rob, let's go listen to Yeezus. And you had Yeezus on CD. And you had a fly ride and a good system. We went down there and blazed up in your car and we listened to to Yeezus. Kanye, yeah, yeah. We listened to Kanye, which I'm not a huge fan of. Like, I'm, I think he's got three joints right now. But you loved that album. You were, your mind was blown. I, I couldn't absorb it because it was so out of the pocket for me. But I loved, uh, I loved Through the Wire, uh, Runaway, and then I just got turned on to Jesus Gone. Does, that thing where What's he's that? got 150 freaking choir. Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. The things that he thinks of is just, uh, I'm always fascinated by people that are, you know, visionaries that, you know, that have that, you can put it together. Different you know, thinkers. Yeah. What he's doing with shoes, like I'm not even jocking them and I don't even you know, I'm not on that, but it does blow me away. Like you can blow him off for being a narcissist, but man, what he's done with for shoes. Like, yeah, I don't see it at all. Like I wouldn't even well, if my girl's in fashion together. and she's just like, dude, he just, and she's like, you know, she's like goop life. Like she's just like a regular, you know, she's like, you know, and he's, she just knows shoes and it's like, he changed the game. 
like literally like changed the industry, like how yeah. they make tennis shoes, like completely I'm got so, changed. I'm so happy that I don't like, I don't like, I look at them and I'm like, even if you gave me a pair of them, I wouldn't know what to wear them. What are you rocking now? I'm rocking. I mine is Solomon. I'm rocking Solomon. They have good soles. They have the arch. I got high arches. You got to have some good like old man shoes. Probably I got look good in heels. <laughs> I got a good figure. I'm in touch with my feminine. <laughs> get your toenails, clip those toe hairs and get out there, man. Put those heels on, make some money for the family. Yeah, you got to make some money. Some of the time the gigs, I'll go down by the Holland Tunnel and make a quick 40, man. Me and, you know, me and the ladies down there. Who knows, man? Maybe that's what's going to come back in New York City. Street prostitutes, man. That I saw you. That's funny you brought that up because I did see something. The YouTube weirdness. But I ended up on like a 60 Minutes interview of RuPaul. But it was like I like looking at an old New York. It was like Meatpacking District 88. And it's real RuPaul. And she's talking to the transvestites down there. It was uh -huh. fucking. And she was not, you know, she was like she was nice to him and could kick it with him. So it was super interesting, man. It was like inside, but a, a lot of them had senses of humor and they were cracking jokes. It was, and it was like old New York. So they all seen it all. It was, it was wild. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was going to, I was going to mention something about the, uh, but now I forgot. What's your more. Okay. We'll sign off on, do you drink coffee, Mark? Yeah. I like uh cafe Bustello. The other Picazzi. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Laker. That's his go-to. Do you, do you do that in your coffee maker or do you go espresso? How hardcore are you? I do the pods. I do the espresso pods. Oh, nice. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's there. It's Cafe Bustello and it says espresso, but there's another one, coffee one. I like this one a little bit. It's a little bit stronger, but it's about the size of a cup of coffee. And I use non-dairy creamer, so... I'm uh, I so I'm not drinking. That are much. you doing powder creamer? Or are you doing? Are you like the powder? I'm going oat milk. I do almond. I some I do like me a good powder creamer now and then. I can't do almond, man. It changes the taste of the coffee for me. Yeah, the coffee. I love I I'm like nuts. I'm right all about fish and nuts, dude. There's a fresh fish place down the street. I got a fucking. Where do you live? I live over in uh, Park Slope. Okay, so you're in New York still. Um, yeah, I've been here since 2005. I've got a kid in public school. I'm not leaving. <laughs> I haven't left during this whole thing, man. I've been on lockdown, surviving on edibles and doing this podcast and drinking green tea. You got a, you got a, you have kids? Yeah, I don't really want to talk about it on this podcast too much. I'm trying to steer away. But no, as a man to man, it's like, yo, what's up? No, I hear you. But I also wanted to ask you, what was the tour like? Because we only got well, a couple of minutes. Uh, what, how much time you got when you, when you go up there? Uh, how much time are you doing? With Tracy Morgan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the best tour of my life, man. I'm doing 10 minutes. Uh -huh. 10 minutes. Uh -huh. Right after, right after uh, Artie Fuqua. And, uh -huh. then it's Mark, and then it's Mark Theobald, Pat Brown, Roberto Vanderpool. We're all doing 10. And then Tracy does 50. That's awesome. And he throws Pat Brown like 15, like we all take care of Pat. And she's really working on herself. I'm just, a lot of it's just like, he doesn't have bodyguards. He has two security dudes that are like dudes from his neighborhood that now run security pro, like they might, they've been cops and shit. But most of it was like us, like just holding them down, you know, and keeping his vibe right. You know, Mark's positive. I got through with, through Mark, you know, just like going on. He asked, he said, yo, Rob, I'm over on set. I've always asked him about writing and shit. 
He's like, come by. And then I came by and Tracy saw me. He was like, yo, Rob, what's up, man? And I knew him back in the day before that. That was one time I actually prayed for Tracy when he got in that accident. And then I hadn't seen him like in seven years. And then I walked on set and I didn't, you know, Tracy, you know, he's a fucking superstar. So, and, and he's all, and he's from the front, you know, he's a crack dealer from the projects, man. He's out there. He's out the, you know? So I didn't know what he was going to say. And then he was just all love. And then he was like, yo, come out. To, and I had two spots. Yo, I had like a spot at like Danger Fields for fucking less money and some other trash spot. And he was like, yo, Rob, come out to Levity with me. And I was like, uh, I was like, I got spots. He's like, cancel those fucking things. I'll pay you $200 to hang out. So I came out and I just hung out. And the idea was just to write jokes for him because he has like a, a writer. The idea was to write for him, but he he's so funny. It's weird to write for him. Mark can do it. But then we were then I was out there like in California and I didn't know I was going to go on. And he was like, yo, give Rob 10 minutes. And it was like this big amphitheater. And we already took the personal jet. This is the first time I was on a private jet. We went all the way out there. I didn't even know I was going to go on stage, Mark. And then he was like, yo, go on up. And I just went up and, you know, I've been I've been doing this 20 years and I've been doing it all in the village and doing it all in the alternative rooms. I was I was doing Rafifi and doing Louis J. Gomez gigs at the same time, man. Nobody. I mean. So I, I know when it comes to stand up for 10 minutes, I can give you a good 10 minutes. Yeah. I know you can give a good 10 minutes. So, I mean, it was a dream crowd, man. Well, we have we have the same kind of sort of history in comedy. We both um, played the urban rooms and we all we bounce back and forth. We double dutch almost like which is, you know, it's that's how you got to be all city. You know, graffiti. You got to be able to do. I, I mean, as a comedian, the dudes I respected played all the rooms could kill in front of a gay crowd, could kill in front of an old crowd, could do clean. Like, that's when you're the top level. Like, if you want to play with Jordan, you're not you're not one of the real. I mean, everything's different now with the Internet and all that. But if you want to just talk core stand up where where it's literally as old as chess and it's like, dude, there's just levels to this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I'm the highest or the funniest, but I've been out there with them. Tracy, Tracy gave me the best of my first and best lesson in comedy. I remember I was at the New York Comedy Club. I was coming off stage. I was I probably was doing the check spot on Seymour show. Seymour Swan used to have the uh, the uh, urban show that started at uh, 1130 on Friday and Saturday nights. Always packed. Yeah, I did that joint once or twice. So I'm coming off um, and he looks at me and he must have heard the, the crowd laugh and he goes, Yo, just so you know, I always want to do better than you, son. This shit is an individual sport. And I looked at him, I was like, oh, all right. And, you know, like a lot of times, Tracy tells you stuff, you, you know, you do. I, that one I was able to decipher pretty quick. I got what he was telling me. He was like, it's not, it's an individual sport. As much as we're all doing this together and we're all a family, when you get up there where you have, you should be competitive. You want to knock it out the park. Not only does it make me better, but it'll make you better. It'll make the shows better. And that's the way it is. Yeah. It's those old lessons. It's like uh, the stand up, like I was saying earlier, and he does it. And I've been reading a lot of Bruce. Where it's just emotional content. Like you have to fucking when you're killing is just when the crowd, it's beyond just joke writing. It's like emotion. So when you tap into that emotion, like when you really let people gut laugh and that's what Tracy and you got in New York and like 
when you can get people to gut laugh, yeah, that's our gig. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, you're just raising the bar for everybody else, 100%. And right. you don't have to be a dick about it. You shouldn't compare yourself, but in the moment, yeah, that's like, we're all doing layups. Like, yeah, you should, you know, and that, he would always do, he would want me to kill on his show. I would go out and I, would, I wouldn't smoke weed. He paid me good. I was learning showbiz lessons and I would just go in and just, I would just try to kill as hard, you know, I would just try to kill as hard as I can. And I have a good, I have, have I have like, uh, I got stuff about my kid, my wife and stuff. Like I got mainstream stuff for 10 minutes. I can give you a really good like mainstream show. I definitely believe it, man. Um, I got to split now because I got to get ready for this other thing. Yeah, you but do. I just wanted to uh, let everybody know that listens to you. I'm going to be performing. Uh, I'm going to be recording an album. Please. Um, yeah. Sunday, Sunday, April 25th. April 25th, Sunday in Manhattan. New York Comedy Club, 4th Street. That's the uh, East Village spot. New York oh, Comedy wow. Club. NewYorkComedyClub.com. And... Uh, if you go and you put in the coupon code Mark, M-A-R-K, you'll get a, a discount, $10 tickets. If not, it's $25 at the door. April 25th, two shows. Sunday, April 25th, 7 o'clock and 9.30 p.m. So please, man, if you had a good time today and you're a fan, come out. Uh, it's going to be a great yeah. time. It's for Mark a great- Hilarious and awesome and fascinating ex-cop, uh, funny, goofy, weed-smoking, family guy been through everything and as stand-up if you want to see real new york stand-up and you're gonna he's gonna record it and this is like one of the old clubs that was in the circuit this is like the first time i saw like dc benny ben bailey like people killing it like it was just one of those workout spots like, like seinfeld everybody did it and i think you're gonna have an amazing time it's gonna sound awesome so everybody check out uh, and come out to his recording and check it out when it's streaming out into the universe all right, Mark DeMeo, you're the man. I love it. Thank you for doing this, dude. Can't wait to see you again. We'll be we'll be performing again soon. Everything's opening up. Yeah, it's all coming together. I got the second. I got the second shot. I'm waiting a couple weeks. Me too. I got. I'm. I got. I got the second shot coming up. I just got the first one. You running? What you got? What you got? I got Pfizer. Me too. Oh, you. Oh, pound out. <laughs> Boom. All right. Peace okay. out, Mark. I love you. All right. Love you too, New York City. Man.